Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication of our tribal war. Dark vision fly by helicopters in the night. Attempt triangulation of our station in the fight. Straight from the base, deep down, low precision. High crime treason, we broadcast in sedition. Like the Wall Street morning, afternoon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Public Affair. My name is Nadal Nakashvi, and I'm your host for the hour. And today, I'm so excited to have a very special guest joining us for our last show of the year here on WORT. This episode is pre-recorded uh, last Friday, so you will hear mention of breaking news uh, that was relevant today. A reminder that you cannot call in this show, but you can reach out and join the conversation via social media. This guest is a bit of a legend in our state's political circles. And a disclaimer right off the bat, I have been a huge fan for a while now. He's a tried and true environmental advocate, a staunch defender of Wisconsin's democratic process, and has served as Wisconsin's Secretary of State since the 1970s. Secretary Doug Follett, thank you so much for joining us today. Boy, it's great to be here, and I look forward to talking with you, and I look forward to finding out what the audience has to say about our conversation. I do as well. So how's the holiday season been treating you? We've, we were talking a little bit before the show started. Uh, you said you're planning on going into the Capitol tomorrow on a Saturday? Well, I go there at the moment because it's so cold outside that I can go to my office for a few minutes and then I can walk around and around and around in the Capitol for two miles or two and a half miles. Oh, that's a very it's a very smart idea. And you have a great view. The Christmas tree's up. That's exactly right. All right. Well, I pulled up your Wikipedia biography uh, before this interview, and it says that you are an American academic, an environmental scientist, and the longest serving statewide elected official in the United States. I didn't know that you uh, got that accolation this past cycle, but that's really cool. So this is your 12th term in office? Well, I think so. I'd have to go back carefully and count, but that's <laughs> possible. Someone did tell me after the most recent election, which was a very difficult one, mm -hmm. uh, because the Republicans really tried to, to win, and that was the first time they put a lot of effort into it. But after I, I won that election... Someone did tell me, I think it was John Nichols, John Nichols, mm. an old friend of mine, he got a hold of me and told me that I was now the longest serving state <laughs> public official in the country. Oh, that's awesome. If someone would know it would be John Nichols, right? Yeah, I know John Nichols going way, way back. I don't know if he wants me to tell this, but the first time I ran for office, John Nichols was in junior high and he was... <laughs> He was my campaign manager for Union Grove, Wisconsin. That is so awesome. I did know that. I'll have to ask him uh, about it next time I see him. But, you know, like John, I know many people around the state are quite familiar with your service. Uh, but today's show, we kind of want to know, you know, about that and a little bit about the man behind the title. So how did you get into politics? What made you run for office? Uh, who are you? Well, I first got involved in politics uh, because of uh, two issues, really. I was a professor at the University of Wisconsin Parkside campus, and uh, there was a Vietnam War was going on, and I was uh, very much opposed to that 
stupid war. It was one of the stupidest things this country's ever done, in my opinion. I, I first got involved in that when I was in New York City. I went to Columbia University uh, in New York, and that's when the war started. And so I didn't know where Vietnam was, really, to be honest. So I got, to, I got a couple of books, and I read about it, and it became obvious to me that we shouldn't be going there. The, the French left, and they were smart enough to leave, and instead of letting Vietnam be a nice, independent country, we decided to send our troops in there, and it became an, a disaster area. And secondly, 1970 was the first Earth Day, and I helped, I helped organize the Earth Day in the, in the southern Wisconsin, northern Illinois area. Okay. As I'm sure you know, and maybe our audience will find out right now, that was inspired by Senator Gaylord Nelson. Mm-hmm. one of our great U.S. senators. And Senator Nelson had been a, a conservationist governor. He, he came from a, a little town in northern Wisconsin called Clear Lake, and, and he loved the environment. He loved the outdoors. And when he went to Washington as a U.S. senator, he, he discovered that his fellow senators were not that interested in the environment. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, how can I get their attention? And he came up with the idea of a a national day when everybody stopped and talked about the environment. And that was the first Earth Day, April 22nd, 1970. And I helped organize that in, in my part of the, of the state. And so those two issues are what was what I was concerned about. And the, the congressman in that district, the first district of Wisconsin, uh, was a, a right-wing Republican who thought the war was wonderful and didn't even know what the word environment was. So I decided to run for U.S. Congress against him mm-hmm. the, the the Vietnam War and the environment with my two main concerns at that time. Was that one of your most memorable campaigns? I believe you were a state senator, correct, before you were secretary of state? Yeah, and before I was a state senator, I ran for U.S. Congress. As I just described to you, that election was quite interesting because another Democrat who lived in Milwaukee decided he wanted to run. So he moved down to Racine and he rented an apartment. So he was in the district and he started running. So to make this long story short, we had a primary election, two Democrats. Mm-hmm. And it was quite contentious because there were, there were two young professors uh, running for office and it divided families. Sometimes the husband would be on my side and the wife would be on his side. It was it was a very interesting election because I argued that I was the better candidate and we could talk about that. But the main issue is on election night, it was so close that we didn't know the winner. So finally, about midnight, I went to bed. And the next morning, one of my campaign workers woke me up and said, Doug, we won, we won. <laughs> And, and and we won by 26 votes. Oh, wow. That's close. A smaller so, margin than this cycle, correct? Yeah. So my opponent, he asked for a recount. And there were a lot, there were a lot of paper ballots back then, particularly in the rural areas, in Walworth County, for example. And so after about four or five days of counting, he won the election by 20 votes. Oh, wow. So 46 votes changed. And he won the election. So I was out of work for a little bit because I was a professor at the university 
And after I won the election by 26 votes, I asked the university for a leave of absence because I, I wanted to have time to campaign for the general election coming up in November. The primary was in September at that time. I was out of work for one semester, and that was a, a problem maybe, but it turned out to be a wonderful thing, really. Because at that time, one of my campaign workers named Peter Anderson, who's a dear friend of mine, has been ever, ever since then, he came to Wisconsin to help me in the campaign. He was from New York, New York City, he had an aunt in Washington who followed politics. And his aunt told him that there was a great candidate who was an anti-war candidate running in Wisconsin, and Peter should come and help him. So he came to Wisconsin, and he helped me. He became my campaign manager. He was great. And after we lost the election, we sat down and cried for a, a day or two. Mm -hmm. then we, and then we decided to do something that turned out to be very important. So you were the anti-war candidate and you were also, you know, pro-mitigating climate change and pro-the environment. So were you uh, the progressive in that race? Were you left to the moderate candidate? And did that present any issues with the establishment? Well, yeah, I mean, it was sort of I mean, me as a progressive independent. I'd never been involved in politics. And my opponent was a sort of a active Democratic person. He had run for state treasurer uh, a couple of years before. So he was sort of the establishment against against the Maverick. I was the Maverick. And and like I said, I won. And then I, and then he won after the recount. But, but let, me, let me finish the great story. What we did, I had been involved with environmental people around the country because of my interest in the environment. And, and we, we were discovering that we had to be involved in politics. If we were going to if we were going to help the environment stop the, the bad pollution going on at that time. I mean, there was black smoke coming out. The fish were dying in the rivers. It was a very bad, very bad time. That's why Gaylord Nelson had the, the first Earth Day in 1970. Mm -hmm. So around the country, we discovered that many of the environmental groups, like Sierra Club or Audubon, they were not involved in politics. They thought politics was, was a bad thing. And there's one famous story I could tell you if you want about Dave Brower. Dave Brower was the president of the Sierra Club. And if you want to, I'll tell you that story. But that story leads to the fact that, that around the country, acquaintances of mine were starting statewide environmental groups that were political, that they were able, they were able to lobby the legislature, which means, of course, that contributions to them were not tax deductible because they did not have 501c3 status for tax deductions. Wisconsin didn't have a, a statewide environmental group. So I knew people around the state in many little environmental organizations in Green Bay, John Wilson in, in Kenosha. A woman had a little group called the, the, the Root River uh, Protection Group. And so I contacted these people and said, I'd like to form a new group there was a statewide environmental organization that worked and lobbied in Madison for better laws. And they said, fine. We had a board of directors and we started a new group. Peter Anderson and I did that from my living room in Kenosha when we had time after I lost the election. 
And mm-hmm. we called we called the group Wisconsin's Environmental Decade. Ah. And we called it that because we thought the 1970s would be the decade for the environment, and then we could all go hiking again. <laughs> well, the 70s were great. And during the 70s in Congress, Gaylord Nelson and many other, and other senators, many Republicans back then, passed the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act, mm-hmm. the Environmental Policy Act. All those laws passed in the 1970s. And the environmental decade started out with a few members and then more members and then more members. And, and eventually, it became a serious group. Peter Anderson was the lobbyist. He lived in with me in Madison after I was uh, was elected a state senator. I had a house in Madison, and Peter lived there, and he lobbied the legislature. And the group grew and grew and grew and became very effective. We hired our first lawyer to fight legal issues. Mm-hmm. But, but have you ever heard of Wisconsin Environmental Decade? So a quick story for me. I was... In the Capitol, when you were, I think you had a press conference about the uh, about a plague, and I'll ask you about that um, a little bit later. But one of the fellow staffers uh, in the Senate, uh, I don't know if you know Joey Hoey, he he asked me, "Would you like a Would you like a gift?" And I was like, "Sure." And we had talked only maybe a handful of times before then. And he came into my office and he gave me a book called Wisconsin Survival Guide, published uh-huh. by the uh, uh, you know, organization that you just said, and I believe you authored it, correct, in the 70s? Yes, I, I wrote the book, The Wisconsin Survival Handbook. <laughs> yeah. So I do know... Uh, and and if, you, if, you look, yeah. if you look if you look in that book, it was published by Wisconsin Environmental Decade. Uh-huh, yeah. And that group d- did very well for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, became extremely effective. But at one time, after about three decades, people said, what does that mean? It's a strange name. So we decided to get, to get a new name. And we, we, we did a survey, we talked about it, and we came up with a new name. The group is now called Clean Wisconsin. Oh! And Clean Wisconsin, Clean Wisconsin is a great group. I'm so proud of them, and they do wonderful work for the environment. Mm-hmm. And they exist because I lost the election by 20 votes, and I had to do something for that one semester. Isn't that oh. a great? Is that a great story? <laughs> that is. That's such a great story. I, I, we've. Uh, I think Representative Hong has has talked to Clean Wisconsin. We've uh, worked together in the past, but they are such a tremendous advocacy group here in Wisconsin for the environment, and they have done so much good work since then. So I am. Really happy to learn that fact. And, you know, while we're on the topic of, of environmental activism, how do you feel when you've done this work for decades and decades, uh, to use that word, when you see politicians saying that climate change is not real? Well, it's it's ridiculous. It's politics. It's stupidity. There's a problem in this country that uh, U.S. citizens historically not all of them, but too many of them have a sort of anti-science bias. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you can imagine people who, who don't want to get a vaccine to protect their kids from measles because they don't, they don't trust the science behind mm-hmm. the vaccine for measles. 
And then we have an outbreak of measles in New York City and people die because they thought they didn't believe the science. And that same thing applies to, to the climate issue. Mm-hmm. The science is clear. There's a problem. And here's the good news. I just read a, an article today that now about 80% of U.S. people now agree that climate change is real. Mm-hmm. So finally, we've had enough floods. We've had enough droughts. <laughs> the Colorado River is going dry. The forest fires have burned down too many houses. People mm-hmm. finally say, wait a minute, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. What, what's going on is what I call climate disruption. Mm-hmm. Climate is being disrupted by the excess uh, CO2 and methane in the environment. People sometimes don't don't trust science, but I feel like that was a theme that we saw a lot in politics, in society during the COVID pandemic. Would you agree? Yes, exactly. You're, you're 100% correct. Kind of shifting gears and going up to the future, I know that you just came off of another election where, was there a recount? No, there, there wasn't. Oh, there wasn't. Yeah, I, I, I won by enough votes that my opponent would have had to pay for the recount. And, and that would be very expensive. So she decided not to ask for a recount. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that there was a recount, but that's very great to hear. How was that race? How was the campaign cycle for you? I know that it was close, uh, but I imagine having to deal with Republicans, and as, I, as, I, as I've heard you call them, uh, Trumpite Republicans, uh, they seem to have a sinister agenda for the Office of Secretary of State. So we're really glad you won, uh, but they ran on a platform of discrediting our election processes. Uh, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about your tenure as an elected official and how it feels to to have people try to uh, discredit our processes. Well, during my entire time as Secretary of State, which now goes back almost 40-some years, the Secretary of State has not been involved in elections. Before I was elected, Wisconsin, to its credit, decided to take politics out of the election. Mm-hmm. And, and they set up an election board of, I believe, five retired judges. And that election board managed the elections in Wisconsin for many, many years and did a very good job. So I was never involved in elections. During the Walker time and the big, re- the big recall for Walker, the election board irritated Mr. Walker and some Republicans by making decisions that they didn't like. I thought the election board was correct, by the way. So after that election was over, they eliminated the election board and set up the election commission, mm-hmm. which, we have, which we have now, mm-hmm. as like three Democrats and three Republicans. And that is not as good as the election board because it becomes a little bit political. And I think that's a mistake. If I, if I could do it, I would go back to the election board, which I think was much better. My point being that I was never involved in elections. Around the country, in most states, the Secretary of State is the chief election officer who manages mm-hmm. elections. Mm-hmm. And because of that, in the, in the Trump election, which he lost, as we now know, obviously, mm-hmm. they tried to influence Secretaries of State. In Georgia, in Michigan, 
even in Wisconsin, they tried to influence the election commission. As you may remember, Trump flew two of the election commissioners to Washington, to the White House, and entertained them, trying to get them to change the vote in Wisconsin. So in, in this recent election, there was an effort in the entire country, in the swing states, Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, to elect Trump people to the office of Secretary of State. Uh-huh. And that included Wisconsin, because my opponent wanted to move the elections to the Secretary of State's office so she would have the ability to influence the elections. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 And that's why I decided to run. I, I was about to retire but back, mm-hmm. in, back in February, but people talked to me and they convinced me that I would be the strongest candidate to you win mm-hmm. because I had won before. For example, when Walker was elected, I was the only Democrat who won. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Walker won twice, and I won twice. So, so, so people were correct. This election was much different because mm-hmm. my, my opponent spent a lot of money. There was a lot of effort to get her elected because they wanted to have the ability to, input, to, uh, to impact elections. Mm-hmm. So, so I said, no, that's a, that's a bad idea. That's a mistake. But it was a close election. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did win, and, and I'm, I'm happy about that because now we can keep the elections out of politics as much as possible. I don't think we can go back to the election board. The Republican legislature probably would never do that. But but if we ever had a chance to reestablish an election board and get the politics completely out, I would be in favor of doing that. Well, thank you for choosing to run again. I know it wasn't an easy choice, but your service to the state of Wisconsin has definitely subverted the the party of, of Michael Gableman. So we do appreciate that. Uh, I really want to know what the role of the Secretary of State Office is, what services you provide for the people of Wisconsin. I think people generally have some sense of what y'all do, but uh, hopefully you can cover uh, a little bit of your day-to-day on the show today. Well, that's a very long story, Nada. Um, a little bit of it, then. <laughs> when I was first elected, there were 48 people working in the office, and we had a number of important responsibilities. The registration of corporations, trademarks, uniform commercial code, notary public, for example, uh, trademarks, all that was in the office. And around the country, those responsibilities are typically in the office of Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot to do. It, it was a big job. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the man who had retired had neglected the office badly. Mm-hmm. So, so I had a lot of work to do. And, and for, for the first four years, I worked really hard with my staff did all the things that were important to make the office much more efficient and, mm-hmm. and work for the people. And, and we had a corporation division. We had a UCC division. We had a trademark and notary division. And all those people were providing all those services for the people of Wisconsin. And that's the way it was for many years. Then Governor Thompson came along. And Governor Thompson, a Republican, he liked to control everything. 
So he convinced the Republican legislature, even though some of them didn't agree with it, they agreed with me, but Thompson pushed this through late one night in the legislature when everybody was tired and wanted to go home. And what he did is he created a brand new agency called DFI, Department of Financial Institutions. And he moved those responsibilities to that office so he could control it. And he could appoint four of his friends at high salaries to manage the new office. That left the Secretary of State with only about seven or eight employees and, and not as much to do. <laughs> okay. Then Governor Walker comes along. And during the recount of Governor Walker for the recall, for the recall, I mean, not recount, recall, I irritated Mr. Walker because I refused to publish Act 10 quickly. <laughs> And that's another long story. But during all the years that I was Secretary of State before that, one of, one of our duties was to publish the acts of the legislature. And when we publish them, they become law. They're not a law after the legislature passes them. They don't become law until they're published. And one of my duties was to publish them. The law says that I shall publish them within the first 10 days of receiving them. So we always did it on the 10th day. There was no reason to do it quickly. We wanted to give time to, to look it over carefully to make sure things were in order. And my office published hundreds of acts during the many, during the many years, and we always did it on the 10th day. So Governor Walker comes along and says, he pushed me, do it quicker. He wanted me to publish it right away. And I said, well, let me look at that. And I saw no emergency. In fact, I heard a lot of questions. People were <laughs> questioning Act 10 and, <laughs> and the way it was done and, and open meetings laws, issues, and things. So I said, no, I will not publish it right away. We'll publish it on the 10th day like we always do. <laughs> well, before the 10th day came, it went to court. And then, and then there was a legal challenge, and the judge issued a temporary restraining order stopping me from publishing it. Oh, wow. And then it, and then the court went on for weeks and weeks, and finally the judge issued a permanent restraining order telling me not to publish Act 10. Well, but you can imagine that infuriated <laughs> Mr. Mr. Walker and the Republicans. What happened next, as you may know, is the Republicans pushed it to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court overturned the lower court and told me to publish it, which I did. But because of their, they were irritated about that, they, they did two things. They took away the Secretary of State's responsibility to publish the law because they didn't like the way I did it. And they also took away my last two responsibilities for trademarks and, and, and notaries and, and moved those over to DFI. And that left me with one full-time employee and one major responsibility. And that's how it's been now for the last couple of years. In addition to taking away those duties and, the, and taking away the staff, they moved my office to the basement. Mm. So now my office is in a little cubby hole in the basement 
<laughs> or Mr. Mr. Walker and the Republicans put me because they were angry at what I did. <laughs> it sounds like you followed the law too. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I I've always tried to do what I think is the right thing, and it's a problem now because with one staff person mm-hmm. and one and one part-time LTE, we don't have enough people to get the job done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get backlogged three, four, five, six days. Because every day we receive between 40 and 60 requests for apostatils, mm-hmm. an average of about 50 a day. So we have to process 50 documents every day. You can imagine if the one time, the one full-time person gets sick or, mm-hmm. takes, a vac- or takes a vacation or, or her daughter has a problem and she, to go to the doctor, we, we, we fall behind. Mm-hmm. And it's very irritating because people yell at me for not getting the documents processed, and yet we don't have enough people to process them. Mm-hmm. And, and I've argued they should give me back the two people, the the last two people that Governor um, Walker took away, mm-hmm. so that I, so that I can get the job done that I'm elected. And and I'm very I'm concerned now. I was just reelected to do an important job, but I can't do the job because they don't give me the resources to do it. Mm-hmm. Governor <laughs> Governor Avers, Avers, to his credit, in his two budgets during the first four years of his of his tenure, he put into the budget to the two people, and each time the Republicans took the two people out. So we're still stuck with one full-time person. <laughs> I'm ho- I'm hoping in this budget coming up in January, February, and you know about that because you, you work with the legislature. Uh-huh. Governor Evers is again asking for two people. Uh-huh. And, I, and I thank the governor for being responsible because DOA looks at the office. They, they did a study of it, and they said, you need two more people to get the uh-huh. job done. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping that the Republicans and Joy Finance Committee in 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 uh, February and March will understand the importance of giving my office the two people we need to get the job done. Mm-hmm. I, I say it's not about Doug LaFollow. I it's not me. It, it's the people of Wisconsin That's who true. come come to the office fifty times a day asking yeah. for for service, and we can't provide that service because we don't have enough people. What about your office being in the basement? I imagine that it, that's not accessible to, to the public. I mean, I remember trying to get a proclamation stamped when I interned at the governor's office and trying to find the basement. It's a little bit tricky. Do you need legislative purview to move your office up to the first floor? Is that something that JFC has control over too? Exactly. And again, Governor Evers, in his first two budgets, he put in the resources to move the office out of the basement. And the Republicans said no. Oh, wow. They're still mad about 2010, huh? <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, it's too bad because you're right. I mean, we have a statewide elected constitutional officer who is in the basement of the Capitol. If someone looks at it, he says, my goodness, isn't that a silly thing? It is. It is. 
Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM. My name is Nadal Mikashfi, and I'm hosting today's episode. Our guest today is the legendary Secretary of State Doug Rofollett. Uh, this episode is pre-recorded, so you can't join in the conversation uh, via phone today, but you can always tweet at us at WORT Talk or reach out to A Public Affair on Facebook. So I wanted you to tell me a little bit about another I believe it's a duty that you have. So I know very little, uh, so excuse me if I say something wrong, but it's called the Board of Commissioners of Public Land, correct? It is Wisconsin's oldest state agency, according to the internet, and you serve on it, I think, with with the Wisconsin State Treasurer uh, and the Attorney General, correct? That's correct, and you're right. It's a very important agency, and... Uh... And I am. I will probably become the chair of that agency starting in January. Oh, cool! Our state treasurer is a Republican now, correct? So, do you anticipate that there will be any difficulty in working across the aisle or getting voted as chair? Well, I hope not. Again, I've been there for many years. I've been there with Democratic governors and Republican governors. I've I've been there with with the Republican treasurers and Republican attorney generals. And except for one time, we've always worked together for the best of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. There was one time when there was a Republican treasurer who was an absolute, oh, <laughs> let me say, problem. He, he, for example, one of our one of our responsibilities is to loan money to schools. If schools need money, we loan the money to them. And he voted no. Every single time he voted no, which mean which meant, of course, that if if the attorney general or I were not there, they couldn't pass the the loan for the school because it takes mm-hmm. it takes two votes. So he was an absolute disaster. He's gone now, and the new state treasurer. I met with him. His name is John. I think he's going to be fine. I think he's a very responsible person, and I'm sure we can work together to get the job done for the people. Could you go into a little bit about the Board of Public Lands? And I believe you said school funding. Um, Is that what the common school fund is? Could you explain a little bit more about it? Yes, you're correct. That's what the common school fund is. Uh, There are two funds there. And it was a very very clever idea in our Constitution. And because... Other states did not do it. We're the only state that has such a board. What happened is when Wisconsin became a state and when other states became states, the federal government gave them the land. Mm -hmm. And then the state had to figure out some way to disperse that land. So they sold the land to people. And a lot of it was sold to people who wanted to be farmers. Because southern Wisconsin has some of the best farmland in in the country, I remember hearing that we had like like seven or eight feet of, of rich topsoil in places like Walworth County, and so a lot of farmers purchased land, and the the money from those purchases went into the common school fund that you talked about. Mm-hmm. Other states spent the money. It was required that the money was for the school because that was the idea behind the federal government 
giving this land to the states <laughs> and, the, and the resources were to go for the public schools. But other states, they spent the money right away for the schools. And, and they still do that. I mean, other states have uh, school trust lands and the money they get from the school trust lands every year, they give to the schools. But Wisconsin decided to put that money in, into a trust. And then we are allowed to loan that money to municipalities, cities, <laughs> cities and villages, and to schools. And, and we loan the money to them at a, at a fair interest rate. We make it very easy for them to do it so there's no red tape. And then we collect the interest. That interest under the law is given once a year to the public school libraries. So the, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the libraries in all the schools in Wisconsin, they get their money from the Board of Commissioners of Public Lands from the interest. And historically, I can remember a few years ago when I was the, the board chair, we gave them about $30 million. Oh, wow. And, and in the last few years, the board has worked very hard to increase our, our investment ability to raise money for the schools. Last year, we were able to give them over $40 million. And I, I just today was talking to the executive secretary of the board, and he told me, and maybe I shouldn't make this public at the moment, that we're looking next year to possibly giving them as many as $60 million. Oh, wow. Is this so it, It's a wonderful system. We loan them money for a new school bus or a new roof or many, many things. And, and then we keep the interest, and once a year we give the interest back to the schools. And we've done that for over 100 years. Oh, wow. That, that fund at the moment has over $1.2 billion in the fund. That is amazing. We don't hear a, a lot about it and seeing how, you know, obviously I'm a little biased. Republicans have slashed school funding. Uh, there's a lot of underfunded communities. So it sounds like that, that fills in some of those gaps. Well, it fills the gaps for the school libraries because it, it it goes to the libraries. It doesn't go to the to the general funding of uh, schools. Okay, how I was talking to Peter German, who I believe worked for you, uh, a really great guy. Uh, we've been friends for a couple of years now, and he was telling me uh, that the board has also put a new focus on better serving uh, indigenous communities, and I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. It's another long and complicated story, <laughs> but you can imagine that in Wisconsin, in addition to the, the school lands that went to the state, which have been sold and belong to people now, mm -hmm. uh, we, still, we still have about 75,000 acres, mostly in northern Wisconsin, that is within the control of the Board of Public Lands. We have an office in northern Wisconsin with several employees, mostly foresters, because they have to manage the forests on that land. And, and we cut down trees, and we sell the trees, and every year we make money selling trees. And that money goes into the, to, to the common school fund. And, and we're very careful. We do 
uh, sustainable forestry. We don't go. We don't go in and cut cut the whole thing. We go in and selectively cut certain trees to allow the forest to continually regenerate. But some of the land that we have is very close to or intertwined with some of the the Native American reservations. So for years we didn't do. It. We had kind of ignored that issue. But recently, as Mr. German may have told you, mm-hmm. we, we decided to try to come up with a way to get those lands that were in the middle of a reservation to the Native people. Mm-hmm. So it was a long process. We had to go over piece by piece and decide which of those lands within the reservation we could turn over to the Native people's control. And then in return, they would they would uh, be able to to maintain the integrity. It was good for us because if we had 40 acres or 80 acres somewhere in the middle of a reservation, it was hard to manage that land. Mm-hmm. So a, a long, several-year process, and Mr. German gets credit for working on that. Mm-hmm. We came up, we came up with an agreement to sell all the land to the the native tribes. And we've done that with two different uh, groups of indigenous people uh, in the in the last few years. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a very good thing. We got we we got money for the school trust and they got control of all the land within their reservations. Oh wow. That seems like a Vast improvement on formal policy, and I'm excited to learn more about it. If our listeners wanted to, you know, look into the to the board, uh, uh, do you guys do public meetings? Do y'all have a website? How does it work? Uh, we have a website, and we meet twice a month on the first and third Tuesday. Our meetings are public. Uh, we've been meeting uh, remotely for quite a long time now. We used to meet in person occasionally, but everybody's busy. Remember, mm-hmm. we're talking about the the Secretary of State, the State Treasurer, and the Attorney General. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we we meet remotely, uh, using using Team, and uh, Team is a state system for having conference meetings. But but the, they're available to the public. The public can can join those meetings and and listen to what we're doing. Oh wow! I'm going to be sure to to tune in, and I I I'm assuming those meetings are noticed. So if I go to the website, I can find them. That's awesome. Yeah, the the, the we, sometimes we have to move them because of people's schedule, but normally they're at uh, at two o'clock on, mm-hmm. on the first and third Tuesday. Okay, that's awesome. Well, as I promised at the beginning of this, I wanted uh, you to tell our listeners a little bit about the fighting Bob Plague in the Capitol. Well, that's another fun story. <laughs> when when the pandemic came along and the Capitol was closed and the weather was bad, I would go to my office for a few minutes to take care of some business, and then I would walk. I'd walk around and around the first floor, the second floor, third floor, around and around, because I normally try to walk three miles every day. It's good, mm-hmm. it's good exercise, and I, I, I want to keep doing that. So I would walk three miles around and around and around. 
And in doing that, I walked by the the Robert M. LaFollette bust many times. Mm -hmm. It's located, as you know, on the first floor. Mm -hmm. And I had obviously seen it for many years because I've been Secretary of State for a long time. But for some reason, until I was walking by it over and over again, it didn't connect with me that there was no information. If a person... If a person looked at that, they would say, well, who's that? And so I noticed that there were other displays in the Capitol that had a plaque. And that plaque described why they were there. <laughs> so I said, well, Fighting Bob ought to have a plaque, I think. So I, about a year ago, it's been a, it's been a long process. About a year ago, I talked to the, the building manager, the man who manages the building. And I, I said to him what I just said to you. And he said, you're right. <laughs> I mean, Fighting Bob LaFala was probably the most important politician to ever come out of Wisconsin. Mm. So we need a plaque. So we started the process of trying to do it. And we had to meet with the with the board that manages the capital and the and the and the governor's residence. And we we met with them, um, explained this to them, and they said, well, uh, what what wording do you want to use? We, we, we said, Here, here's a, a suggestion. Well, you can imagine a committee. The committee started picking up at, the, at that. Everybody had their own <laughs> ideas of what, what the plaque should say. Uh-huh. So, so, so the, the first... The first effort was not successful. So we went back and we came up with, with different wording. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we presented that wording to the, to the committee. And they said, okay, it wasn't quite what I wanted, but we had to make compromises. So here we go. <laughs> and, and they approved that, but with one stipulation. They wouldn't pay for it. Oh, wow. Uh, which I thought was pretty chintzy on their part. I mean, come on, this is a plaque in the state capitol for, for, for one of the most famous politicians in the country. Wow. But they wouldn't pay for it. So they said they would approve it, but only if I raised the money to pay for it. And, okay. and the, co- the cost was going to be uh, $2,700. Mm-hmm. So, so I held a press conference in the capitol. I t- explained all this. And I told people to, to please send in contributions uh, if they would help pay for this. And we've been doing that now. I think the last time I checked, we've, we've raised about $700 so far. So we got $2,000 to go. And, and again, I will pay the difference. I mean, I, I agreed to do this. I think it's important. So when the plaque gets here, Pretty soon, I hope, in the next few weeks, mm-hmm. I will write a check for the difference to pay for the new plaque. Oh, wow. Is it... Are, and I, I'm not remembering if there are other statues in the Capitol, but I, from the things that I've seen, most things do have a plaque, correct? Is there a reason why this one didn't have one? Or is it just how things are? <laughs> it just... Nobody thought about it, I guess. Wow. All right. Well, how can people send in contributions? Do they 
write a check to your office? Is there a website? Is there a link? They, they, they should write a check payable to the company who's making the plaque, whose name I don't remember at the moment. I could look it up maybe. It's it's on my it's on my Facebook page. Okay. And right. uh, on my Facebook page, there's all the information and and the company that's producing the plaque, so so, so they they can send checks made out to that company, to my office, and then. I, I will I will turn them over to the building manager of when the plaque gets here. Fidey Bob has always been a hero to me mm-hmm. because of his stance on many issues. Mm-hmm. People don't even know all this, but he he fought for the indigenous people. He fought for women's rights. Mm-hmm. He was against against the war. He he cared about the environment. He was actually uh, one of our most important leaders in Washington. And he, he's one of five senators who were chosen to have their a uh, bust at the U.S. Capitol in Washington. Oh, I bet there's a plaque there. <laughs> I think so. I, <laughs> good question. <laughs> well, you've been in office for so long. I'm sure you've seen a lot of things. I mean, the past four years alone have been super fun, but... Yesterday, I don't know if you saw the news, uh, Democratic Gov Evers and Republican Speaker Robin Voss met in person for the first time in two years. Uh, Voss was talking about how he doesn't hold grudges, and it seems like there's a lot of optimism in terms of the Capitol finally working together. So I was wondering, you know, looking into the start of the 2023-2024 session, how are you feeling about our ability to to work across the aisle to serve the people of Wisconsin? Uh, are you looking forward to it? Well, I, I hope so. I, I heard about that meeting, and I, I thought it was positive. Mm-hmm. Of course, there there are clear disagreements. Uh, the Republicans want to have a flat tax, which helps rich people, and the governor said no way would he support a flat tax. I agree with the governor. A flat tax is very bad for the average working person. So we'll see. I'm hoping that this sense of working together will allow the Republicans to accept the proposal to give two staff people to my office. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we get the two people that the governor is recommending, we'll be able to get the work done quickly and get it to people and not have five, six, seven days of backlog in the office. Well, to our listeners, you've heard it here. You can contact your representatives, you know, Republican and Democrat, to let them know to keep that in the budget uh, and to pass something for the people of Wisconsin. My final question might be a little bit dramatic, but if you can <laughs> distill kind of the past 12 terms that you've had into one moment uh, that you that truly has kind of lived up to what your expectations have been of of public service what would that moment be or maybe in simpler terms what was your what has been your favorite part so far as being our secretary of state well that's a good question i i had to think about it for a while there we've had a lot of interesting experiences (laughs) i I think some of them as i've explained are quite negative when governor thompson took away some, so many of my staff. When Governor Walker put me in the basement, I remember those times very well. Yeah. I also remember in this last election 
when the Republicans brought the fake electors to the office. Uh, as you know, there mm-hmm. in many in many states, including Wisconsin, the Republicans put together a slate of fake electors who were supporting the election of Republican over President Biden. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I got those, I, I, I sort of smiled and put them in a drawer because they were not the proper electors <laughs> that should have been. They, they, they were some of the Trump people who, who tried to do this in several states. And that's being investigated right now. In fact, in the report that the committee just submitted, they mentioned a couple of the fake electors in Wisconsin who they were, they were hoping they could get those fake electors to Washington and overturn the result of the election. So, so that was interesting to me when I, I saw those. I said, what in the world is this? And then I, I thought about it and I put them in a drawer and forgot about it. Well, that is a highlight, I think, for the state of Wisconsin as a whole, not just for your tenure. So we really, really appreciate your service. I appreciate you joining us uh, and the amazing work that you have done uh, since, I believe, 1974. Thank you so much for joining us on A Public Affair, Secretary. Well, I've enjoyed it, and I I, uh, hope everybody in in the Wart listening audience had a, a pleasant holiday and, and we'll have a, a great new year. <laughs> I'm sure our listeners uh, definitely have a newfound appreciation uh, for the Office of the Secretary of State uh, and your tenure. So thank you so much to the team here at WORT, Charlie and Jade, especially among many others who put together this lovely program for all of us today. It's been a pleasure spending the noon hour with all of you. Uh, happy holidays and see you in 2023.